I'm sure for uh, many of us, you know, obviously it's uh, December 31st, New Year starts tomorrow, and as, we, as you think forward to a new year, um, there's just kind of a rhythm of life, right, as years pass and we look into a new year, and for, for a lot of us, there's probably things we really look forward to about the new year. It could be all sorts of things. Maybe it's graduating. Maybe it's uh, getting a new job or a different job. Uh, maybe it's uh, retiring. Maybe it's paying off the mortgage, going on a great trip. Um, Time with family, there's all sorts of things that, that we look forward to, right? For, for us, uh, the Andersons are looking forward to being first-time grandparents in 2018. Yes, I know, you're thinking, you're so young, how is that even possible? But uh, it's true, um, we're hoping it waits till about March, but uh, we are really looking forward to that. But you know, as we look forward into the future, there may be things that we don't look forward to, right? I mean, even mixed with our anticipation of things we look for, there's also things that sometimes cause worry and concern, things that almost seem like a kind of a threat as we look into the future. There are things that threaten our joy, our peace, our security, right? As you look into this year, what produces anxiety in your heart? As you look into the coming months, what concerns do you carry in your heart? I'm guessing for most of us, there's something that pops into our minds almost immediately when we think about anxiety and concern. What is it for you? As you think about that worry or that concern, here's a question that I want to ask, have, ask you this morning, and that is this. Does your experience of God make any real difference and how you deal with that thing? Does your relationship with God make a difference? I mean, you know you should experience some measure of peace, some kind of assurance, some kind of stability because of your relationship with God, but do you really actually experience that in your relationship with God? Thankfully for us, the scriptures are full of all sorts of people who faced all sorts of things and actually experienced real peace, real security, real assurance from God. There are examples of people who God was not just an idea, not just a concept, not just thoughts in their mind, but he was a real personal presence that gave them help in the midst of their difficulty and their, their pressures and, and the things that created anxiety. David was one such person. This morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to Psalm 90, uh, 27. We're going to spend time looking at Psalm 27 and, and uh, this example of David's experience of confidence in the Lord. The very start of this psalm, there's this little inscription. It says a psalm of David, and uh, it literally means of David, and it can mean that David wrote it. It could mean that it was written for David. It's, it could be that it was dedicated to him, or, uh, you know, it, it, we don't know for sure if David is the author of this. Um, my belief is that David was the author of this, but even if it wasn't, the truth that the psalmist communicates in this psalm in the face of threat, they're still the same because it's their experience of God. For, God. for David, God was a person in whom he had personal confidence and he found great help. And so uh, before we look at the details of this, I want to just read the psalm through. And so uh, Psalm 27. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, 
my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. And be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. In reading this, we get a sense of the occasion, right? I mean, David faces some kind of threat. There's, there's enemies. There is armies encamping around him. There's impending war. And yet in that situation for David, he finds real confidence in his relationship with God. God makes a difference in his life. In verse 1, he talks about the Lord being his light, his salvation, and the, and the defense of his life. And he says, he's my light. He's my salvation. He's the defense of my life. He doesn't just know these things intellectually. They're not just truths that he kind of has on his mind. He knows it experientially. He knows that God is my light. He's the, the force that dispels darkness. And in David's situation, that's the, the, the armies that, the, that surround him. God is the light. He dispels that darkness. He's salvation. He's the one who has ability to save, to give him victory over his enemies. He is the defense of my life. He's a safe place. David knows these things experientially because he had experienced God's deliverance in the past. Verse 2 says, When evildoers came upon me in the past to devour my flesh, my adversaries, my enemies, they stumbled and fell. He remembers what God has done in the past. He's seen God's deliverance in the past. And because of that, he's confident about the future. And he can say, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? Verse 3, even though a host would encamp against me, my, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. He'd experienced God in the past in such profound and such real ways that as he looks to the future, as he looks to threats surrounding armies, he says, I don't fear. In spite of these things, I shall be confident. As you consider the things that you worry about, as you think about the things that are concerns for you, do you find confidence in the Lord? Do you find confidence in who God is for you? Can you look at those things and say, yep, they're real. These are, these are not going to be easy things, but in spite of this, 
I, I will not fear. In spite of this, I shall be confident. See, David had hope in a difficult time, not because everything around him looked secure, not because everything around him looked peaceful. He did it. He had that because he was confident in the Lord. God was not just a set of facts, just an idea or a concept. He was a person that he had experienced as light, as salvation, as a defense of his life. And so regardless of the size of the problem David faced, he looked to the Lord. He looked to the Lord's greatness, and he was confident. Now, David experienced this kind of help from the Lord as a result of his relationship from, with God. He, he had this intense desire to seek God, to know God. As you go on to verses 4 through 6, you see this commitment to seek God. And it was out of this, this seeking that his confidence was, was renewed. In verse 4, he says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. He has this kind of single-minded desire to seek God. So there's one thing. There's one thing I ask. There's one thing I seek, and that is to be in God's presence, to, to be in God's presence. When he says that he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, certainly that meant times up at the, the tabernacle and then that place of worship. But he's saying really in a poetic way, he wants, he wants no gap in his experience of God. He wants this moment-by-moment, daily experience of God so that he can behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, I love the way the New Living Translation translates that phrase. He trans- it translates it as delighting in the Lord's perfections. David says, I want to be in God's presence. I want no gap in my experience with him that I might dwell in his perfections, that I can contemplate his character, that I can think deeply about who God is is. And as he does that, he's reminded of God's character as he seeks God and his confidence is renewed. In verse 5, he he clarifies the relationship between seeking the Lord and, and the occasion that he finds himself in. He says, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. David knew that there would be a day of trouble But as he sought God, he became convinced that God would protect him in that day. When he says that God will conceal him in the tabernacle, that that God will hide him, that God will lift him up on a rock, it's poetic language to say God himself will protect me. God himself will defend me and keep me safe. And so in verse 6, he expresses his confidence that God's going to deliver him. And out of that confidence, he rejoices. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. David's experience of the Lord was so real to him that it made a difference in his life. He knew God was his light, his salvation, his, his, the defense of his life. And he knew this. Because he knew God. He sought God. He contemplated God's character. He had hope because of God. God was his hope in difficult times. As you come to verse 7, there's a a transition in the, the psalm. Up to this point, David has been describing, David has been declaring, he's been telling things. But as you come to verse 7, David prays. And, uh, 
this is really, this prayer reveals kind of his, his heart, his passion to, to seek God. And I, and I believe it's this kind of interaction that allowed him to, to know God and get to that place of confidence. And so he says in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. He's calling out to God, God, hear me, God, answer. And he knows that if God answers, it's always an act of grace. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. And you see this kind of resolve to seek God. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. You feel the intensity of David's seeking, right? I mean, there's this this intensity, this passion. He is holding on to God. He's asking God to come through for him. And you kind of see this kind of raw honesty here, right? I mean, he says, like, feels like God's hiding his face from him, maybe turning away from him. But he cries out to God. He asks God not to abandon him, not to forsake him. He's, he's wrestling with God in his difficulty. I mean, he, he doesn't get to confidence overnight, but it's in this wrestling, wrestling and, and struggling with God. Where are you? It seems like you're turning away, but he seeks God. He, he pursues the God of his salvation. You know, to do what David does here, um, to get to a place of confidence, doesn't mean he denies the problem. He's, he's brutally honest about the problem. He's brutally honest about his struggle. God, where are you? Are you turning away from me? Are you hiding from me? David's honesty here, I know for myself, sometimes I find this very hard when, when I'm facing difficult things, when there's things out in the future that cause anxiety or concern in my life. Sometimes I want to just ignore those things. Sometimes I want to look a different way. Sometimes I want to get busy just trying to fix it. But, but David doesn't really do it that way. He, he looks at the problem and he sort of prays his way through the problem. And, uh, and there's just this honesty, this wrestling, this seeking that lets him get to a place where he has assurance of who God is, God's character. And it's through that that he finds real help in his situation. Ultimately, in verse 10, we see him come to this place of resolute trust in God. He says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord, the Lord will take me up. Even if the people who should be the most uh, concerned about him and offer the most help, even if they forsake him, he says, the Lord will take me up. And the picture of that phrase, the Lord will take me up, is of 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 a dad picking up a child, lifting them up, coming to their aid. So that's who the Lord is in my life. He's like the perfect, good parent who cares for his child. God cares for you. God cares for you in whatever situation you are. Verses 11 and 12, he makes two specific requests. He prays for guidance and he prays for deliverance. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. He's praying for guidance. God, in my situation, as I face this threat, guide me. And he says, do not deliver me over the de- desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Guide me and deliver me. And it's through this wrestling in prayer that David comes to a place of renewed confidence in the Lord. And out of that confidence, he, he, he turns and he speaks to others. 
He gives a reminder first to himself, but, but to others. He gives a reminder to us. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Without God, he says, I would have despaired. I would have despaired unless I believed that God would show up. I would have despaired unless I believed that God, I knew that God would come through. Ultimately, in verse 14, then, David encourages all to take up this pursuit and trust God. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And he's speaking to his own heart first, reminding himself to wait for the Lord. But he's addressing others. He's addressing us. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage in the Lord. Yes, wait for the Lord. And, And that's a Encouragement over and over again in the Psalms, right? Wait for the Lord. We're to continue to look to God in hope that he will provide, that he will deliver, that he will come through for us. David found hope in his difficult times. Not in his own abilities, not in his army. He found hope in his his God. He found hope through his relationship with God. And so here's the question. How do we experience God in that way? How do we experience God in a way like David did that it, that it, that it gives us real hope, that it gives us real peace in the midst of difficulties? I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about this. And obviously there's a lot of things that we could do, but, but at the heart of, I think, is what David talks about there in verse 4 where he says, one thing I've asked, one thing I shall seek. Uh, David asked to experience God in this way. We can ask. We can ask that God would help us experience Him in this way. David asked God that He would be able to dwell in His presence, that He would be able to really see God's beauty, that He would be able to understand God's character. We can ask. And, and we need to understand that that we will only experience God, we will only understand God's character if God chooses to reveal himself to us. So we should ask. And I think it's a prayer that he would delight to answer. In your worries, uh, with your worries and concerns, you might be asking God for better health, better relationships, a better financial situation. Uh, You're hoping that God will change your situation, that you might experience peace. But here's the thing. In David's situation, his confidence and his sense of peace and his security didn't come once the threat was removed. It came in the midst of the threat. God was so real in the midst of his concerns. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong to ask God to change your situation. I think you should ask God to change your situation. But more than just asking him to change your situation, ask him to help you experience him in such a real way that even in the midst of whatever difficulty you're facing, your heart experiences rest and peace because you're really experiencing God who loves you and cares for you. Ask. Now, you may be in a situation where you even look at the desire for that and, and it's not even the desire of your heart. And so maybe the place where you start asking is just, God, God, give me that desire to seek you in this way. Start in, with that in your asking. But David asks, and then he also seeks. He's determined to seek. And so I think we, we ask, but we also need to decide 
that we're going to seek God. When God invited him, seek my face, David's answer was, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. There was kind of a resolve in David's spirit. There was a decision to seek God. He wasn't passive in this. He determined that he would seek God. And honestly, I I think this was David's heart, whether there was a threat or not. I I think his desire to dwell in God's presence, uh, it was true of his life. In some ways, the reason he wanted the enemies gone was that he would have this unhindered ability to to just be in God's presence and and seek him. And so, so I think whether you're facing things that are anxious or concerning or not, this is what we want to do. We want to seek God, get to know him, deepen our relationship with him. Part of deciding that you're going to seek God is having a plan. Having a plan. Do you have a plan for how you seek God? As you look into this coming year, do you have a plan about what this will look like for you? And here's the deal. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to seeking God. As much as I would love to say, here's the three things that you should do and you'll find God. Here's the three things you need to do to deepen your relationship with God. It's just not that way. I mean, we are, we are created differently, how we connect with God, how we experience God. For all of us, it's different. You need to, to sort of own this. You need to own the responsibility to think, in this next season of time, how, how am I going to seek God? How am I going to pursue Him? Now, even though that's true, there are kind of core things that, that are given to us to pursue God. At the heart of pursuing God is always His Word. At the heart of pursuing God is always prayer, these two disciplines, seeking God through the Scriptures and through prayer. And so, what is your plan? What is your plan for seeking God through the Word? In terms of prayer, how will you seek God through prayer? Maybe you want to spend five minutes every morning, five minutes every night reflecting and praying. Maybe you know that uh, what you need to do is, after a time of reading the Scriptures in the morning, ten minutes of just listening to God will be part of how you want to seek Him. I don't know what it is, but, but I would encourage you to think in terms of Scripture reading and prayer, develop a plan. But there are all sorts of other spiritual disciplines to consider. Things like silence and solitude, fasting, uh, observing a weekly Sabbath. Um, fellowship. It may be that you realize that that part of what you need to add to your pursuit of God is is this element of fellowship, that you need to be around other believers in a way that you currently are not. Uh, Maybe you need to become part of a group, become part of a life group. Um, Maybe you need to, maybe part of what you need is, is, is a mentor or just a peer relationship where you meet regularly to pray together, to look at the scriptures together. I don't, you know, I don't know what it is, but my encouragement would be to consider how you engage God through the scriptures, through prayer, and what else do you need to seek God at this point of your life? The point is to decide that you will seek God and develop a plan. There's a tool on our website. Some of you have looked at this. Uh, maybe it's kind of hard to find, but if you, if you go to the top and there's, this, like, there's a little next steps link, if you click that on the right side, it's called a spiritual growth planning tool, and it kind of guides you through a process of thinking about your current experience of God, and it'll guide you thinking through what what practices in this next season of time will be helpful for you in terms of seeking God. I'd encourage you to to go there and and spend some time looking at that. One of the questions that that tool asks is this, what one thing, if done regularly, would make a world of difference 
in my relationship with God. What one thing, if done regularly, would make a world of difference in my relationship with God? Think about that question. What is that thing? Get clear about that thing and then do it. That one thing that would make a world of difference in your relationship with God. Does your experience of God make any real difference in how you confront the difficult things in your life? Like David, you can experience God in a way that gives real hope, real peace, real security, even in the midst of the most difficult of times. Ask. Ask that God would bring you to place in your relationship with Him that that you would experience real help, real peace, and decide that you're going to pursue Him, that you're going to seek Him. That's going to be the pattern of your life. You know, the reality is we live in a day that's full of despair, don't we? I mean, you, you look at the news and, and, and the news is dripping with despair. And sometimes we can get sucked into it. We can get caught up in the, the despair. And, and, and there are a lot of despairing things going on in the world. And yet, though that is true, I think as believers... We should be some of the most hopeful people in the world, right? Not because we deny problems, not because we deny the things that are going on out there, but we should be some of the most hopeful people in the world because of who we know, the creator of the universe, the God who reigns and rules over all. We should be the most hopeful people because we know the end of the story. May we be people who have hope in difficult times. And may that hope be a bright light shining in a dark world, pointing people to our great God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are truly great and that you do reign and rule over all. God, as we think about the, the stuff that we face, the personal stuff that we face that is heavy, that's concerning, things that we can't figure out. God, help us to come to a place in our relationship with you that that we really trust you, that that we experience that you are a good parent, that you will lift us up, that you're, you're intimately involved, that you know, you care. And God, in the midst of whatever it is, may we find peace, may we find confidence in you. Father, as we move into this new year, help us to be people that ask and seek to experience you in a, in a deeper way, in a new way, in a way that uh, we really have confidence and hope in difficult times. And Father, may we truly be people that are some of the most hopeful people, not because our lives are easier, not because our, our difficulties are gone, but because we know you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.